Let us turn now to the Word of God, to the book of the Revelation, chapter 22. Revelation, chapter 22. We shall read from verse 13. Revelation 22, reading from verse 13. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And may God again bless to us this reading of his holy word. And uh, we would endeavor to conclude Today, our consideration of this book, but focusing on the latter part of this chapter, where we have our thoughts centered upon the exalted Redeemer. No doubt, as we've gone through the book, we have sought to focus our minds particularly upon him, but as the canon of Scripture is concluded, and as this book referred to here as the prophecy, as it is concluded, we find that it is Christ who has the final word. And we see what his final word is. And you will see that he repeats the words three times in this Chapter, first of all, verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. And then again in the verse uh, 12, And behold, I come quickly. And then again in verse 20, He which testifieth these things says, Surely, I come quickly. Now you will see in the first two occasions 
He says, Behold, it is a reality. I come quickly, or I come suddenly, or I uh, come without warning. I come quickly. Behold, focus your mind upon it. And then at verse 20, surely it is really true, I come quickly. Now, those words, depending on the school of thought that many adopt, they have a tendency to ignore them because the words just don't seem to fit in with their interpretation of Scripture. These are the last words of the Son of God who is in the throne of glory. The last words to the church, to the churches, the assemblies, of God's people and the worshipers of God. Surely, whatever else you know or are ignorant of, whatever else you understand or feel to understand, understand this. Surely, truly, I come quickly. Now, we cannot possibly then ignore these words. They have their own significance. This word comes from him of whom it was said, Never man speak like this man. And even those who were his enemies during his earthly ministry had to acknowledge, Master, thou speakest truth. He is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here he says, surely I come quickly. And whatever school of interpretation we adopt, if these words don't fit readily into it, there's something wrong with it. Whatever way we try to interpret this book, if we can't give heed to these words and if we can't respond in the way that the bride and the spirit respond to this statement, we have a real problem. Now you will see who is speaking here. Verse 13, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Now this is, of course, typical of John, who's the author of this particular book, or at least the scribe. John is the one who focuses on the statements of the Savior again and again, uh, manifesting and testifying to his deity I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the light of the world. And uh, so on. Here is the final I am. 
in the whole of Scripture, the, the statement, the claim of the Savior, I am. And of course, when we consider such a statement, we go right back to uh, God revealing himself to Moses in the backside of the desert. And uh, when God revealed himself, and then when he told Moses that he was to go down into Egypt to bring the Hebrews out of bondage, God declared himself to Moses, describing himself, making himself known. And who does God claim to be? I am that I am. That is God's own claim. And when the Savior comes into the world and he makes claims that he is the eternal Son of the Father, that he is one with God, of course he was accused of blasphemy. Nevertheless, he did state, I am. And here at the very conclusion, as it were, of the Scriptures, he is saying, I am. And I am Alpha and Omega. That's always intriguing to me. Why would the Savior make this statement? I am Alpha and Omega. He doesn't say I am Aleph and Tau. Now, you would think he was born a Jew, he was raised a Jew, he was educated as a Jew, he was a Jew. He was of the seed of Abraham. And it would perhaps, on the surface, be more natural for him to say, well, I am the Aleph and the Tau. But he always says, I am Alpha and Omega, using the language of the Gentiles, not the language of the Hebrews, but the language of the Gentiles. And that is, of course, most encouraging then to the Gentiles uh, that they have a Savior who has absolutely everything to them that they need. He's the Alpha and he's the Omega. But he also states, I am the beginning and the end. There is nothing before me and there is nothing beyond me. I am the beginning and I am the end. Everything is in me, beginning and end, as Paul writes to the Colossians, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything is there. So that if we have Christ, we have absolutely everything that we need. And he is also the first and the last, this triple claim of the great I am. And as he declares himself to be so, then he tells us why 
he has sent his angel to testify the things that are written in this book. And that is why, because he is the first and the last, he is the beginning and the end, he is the first and the last, he says, if any man take away from the words, or rather, verse 18, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and so on. Because I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the Omega, the final word. I am the end. I conclude everything. I am the last. There is nothing beyond me. I am uh, the conclusion of all things. And when Paul writes to the Corinthians, in chapter 15, he speaks of the first Adam, and then he speaks of Christ, the Lord from glory. He's the last Adam. He is the first and the last here in this uh, concluding chapter of Revelation. Now he tells us <clears throat> why he has sent his angel to disclose the things, to lead John to them, to open at times and explain to him what is happening. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Now, note carefully to whom this book is particularly written. The content of this book is for the churches. It's not just a general word of prophecy that inquisitive minds can spend their time seeking to understand. This word in Revelation is sent to the churches for the edification of God's people, for the encouragement and the sanctification of the people of God. I have sent mine angel. Now, You'll see how important it is when we go back and we uh, read verse 6 of this chapter. He said unto me, <coughs> These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. So you can see there is a twofold sending here. This message is so important to the churches that God says, as the Lord God of the holy prophets, not only is he the God who called the prophets and sent the prophets and whom the prophets worshipped and speak of, but because of the manner in which uh, the 
angel here speaks, the Lord God of the holy prophets, he's the God of inspiration. He inspired the prophets, the Lord God of the holy prophets hath uh, sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly uh, be done. And then here, I have sent mine angel. Jesus is now speaking. So you have the importance of this message emphasized coming from the throne of God and the Lamb from God the Father and God the Eternal Son. Now, you will see that the closing message from the Alpha and the Omega, the closing message to the churches that has been sent from the throne is, Behold, I come quickly. That's my final message. Behold, I come quickly. Now, we might think, well, what does that mean? If we look in the context, we will see that there is the record of a response to this very statement. We read, In verse 17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. And many a gospel sermon has been preached based on these words, uh, sometimes taken out of context, Nevertheless, offering the water of life in Christ to sinners. But we have to see in the context that these words in verse 17 are the church's, the bride's response to Christ's own statement, Behold, I come quickly. The Spirit And the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride respond. Now, what are we talking about? We've been looking at the bride, uh, the New Jerusalem, the city of uh, great value and size and glory and beauty. Here is... The church and the spirit, the spirit and the bride say, come. He says, behold, I come quickly. And the spirit and the bride respond, come. They are glad that he says this. And they are responding with delight and joy. Come. They are not saying, wait. They are not saying, hold back. They are saying, come. Now, we may well ask then, what is it that we are to understand from these words, the Spirit 
and the bride say come. Well, look at what has been previously stated. Verse 10. He saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly. Now what does that statement mean? He that is unjust, let him remain unjust, unchanged, unconverted, unregenerated. He which is filthy, let him remain filthy. Let him continue in his filth. He that is uh, righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. In other words, the time has come when men are going to be found when God and they meet, they are going to be found in an unchangeable condition. Their condition as they are found will remain as it is. If they are found filthy, they'll remain filthy. If they are found holy, they will remain holy. Why is this? Because the spirit and the bride are able to say, come. Behold, I come quickly, verse 12, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I come as judge. I come to reward according to the state and the condition of men. I will come and I will judge men as they are. The day for change is gone. The day for any alteration in their spiritual condition is past. And now the Spirit and the Bride are saying, Come. Now, we might ask, Why does the Spirit say this? Why does the Bride of Christ say this? Well, look at verse 14 again. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without, that is, outside of the gates, are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Now, what did we note about the twelve gates? Each one was a peril, focusing on Christ, the peril of great price, the one who is the door by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved. There's no way into this city 
into this new Jerusalem, into this kingdom, there is no way apart from Christ. Now the thing that is important to note is that these gates, the entrances, the doors into this city, they are perpetually open. They're not closed. The invitation is there all the time. The door is open. Anyone is welcome to go in through Christ into this kingdom, into this city, to become a member of the bride of Christ. Now then, when the spirit and the bride are saying, come, those who have not entered in through the gates that are open, have obviously rejected the offers and the invitations of Christ and the gospel. The doors are open, but they refuse to go in. They reject Christ. They reject the glorious invitations of the gospel. They refuse the gospel. They refuse to respond. And so, without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters because they willingly refuse to enter into the city. And this is how they shall be. He that is unjust, well, he's outside. Let him stay outside. He that is filthy, he's outside. Let him stay outside. He that is holy is within. Let him remain within. The day of opportunity is past. No change is now going to take place. Who's saying this? The Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Now, the Spirit and the bride are both in perfect harmony and agreement, saying in response to his statement, Behold, I come quickly. Does the bride, does the Spirit say, Wait, be patient. There are some who are still outside the gates. There are still some in a filthy condition in their sins. There are still those who need to be converted. Wait, be patient, hold on. No, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Now, when it states, the Spirit and the Bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, we must understand the relationship between the Spirit and the bride, the church of Christ. The spirit, you see, indwells the bride. The spirit indwells every child of God, every believer. And therefore, there is this harmony within the heart, within the soul of the child of God, 
because they're taught of the Spirit of God. They're enlightened by the Spirit of God. They speak as motivated by the Spirit of God. If any man is not the Spirit of Christ, well, he's none of his. And so here we have the Spirit and the bride saying, Come. Now the bride by nature, unconverted, unregenerate, would not be saying, Come. That is the language of the regenerate heart. But the Spirit, you see, supports the bride whenever the Savior was to ascend on high. He promised his disciples that he would send another comforter, another paraclete, one to stand alongside. And he will guide you into all the truth. And here is the comforter of the church, with the church, both in agreement saying, come. Because, you see, the church, or the bride of Christ, is upheld, is supported, is strengthened by the Spirit into a mind of harmony and agreement with God himself. And whenever Christ is saying, Lo, I come, or behold, I come, truly I come. What is the response of the Spirit-taught child of God or the church? Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Come, thy will be done. But also it is the spirit And this is how very, very solemn we ought to consider. And those who are not of a mind that they're in a state of grace ought to take seriously what is written here. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Why is the Spirit saying, come? Because way back in Genesis, In the days of Noah, God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. And here is the day that has come when he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He will not experience any strivings of the Spirit of God. He that is filthy will remain in his filth condemned forever because the Spirit is saying, Come, my work is done. My striving is at an end. My work of illuminating, my work of quickening, my work in the hearts and the souls of sinners has been completed. I have drawn the last of Adam's fallen race that are to be converted 
that are to be born again of the Spirit from above. The last has been born. My work is done. He then that is filthy is going to remain filthy. And without the gates, because they despised and they rejected the offers and the invitations of the gospel, they will now remain outside. And the Spirit who has wrought in all the uh, people of God generation by generation, he's now saying, come. My work is done. My work is completed. I have been sent from the Father by the Son. I have been sent to enlighten men in the knowledge of the things of God. I have done it. I have been sent to quicken dead men and women dead in trespasses and in sins. I have done it. I have wrought in heart after heart after heart. But now the Spirit is saying, come. But then the bride is saying, come as well. The Spirit and the bride are saying, come. Because you see the church has made herself ready. That's what we are told in uh, the previous chapter 21. The bride has made herself ready and uh, the church appears in her glory, the glory of grace, redeeming grace, glorified grace now. And the church has experienced not only the quickening, regenerating power of the Spirit of God, but also the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God. The church is now made holy. When we go back to the epistle that Paul writes to the Ephesians, there we're told how the church is to be presented by... Christ to himself as the spotless bride. She's adorned and ready and presentable. Verse 26 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, Christ speaking of the church, cleansing it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, and the Spirit of God has been working, opening up the word, giving light upon the word, applying the word, uh, that it would produce holy men and holy women, a sanctified church, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And the Spirit is saying, come, for the church is now ready. She is sanctified. 
I have been applying the word. Wherever it has been faithfully preached, I've been applying it. I've been opening hearts to receive it. And I have drawn men and women out of every kindred and tongue and people and tribe and nation. I've drawn them to come in through the gates into the city. My work is done. So the Spirit says, come. But the church, the bride, is also saying, come. And that is because the bride is complete. She's saying, come. She's ready. She's not thinking, I'm not ready. I'm not properly adorned. I'm not in a fit state to appear to be received by my heavenly bridegroom. I am ready. I am waiting. I welcome. Therefore, the spirit and the bride say, come. And of course, very naturally, the bride is saying, come. Because she's in love with her heavenly bridegroom. Her love by the working of the Spirit of God has become so great that she wants nothing else. She's not looking for influence in the world. She's not looking for strength anymore to contend for the faith as she's seen doing throughout the chapters of this book. The only desire now in her heart is for himself. This is the evidence of spiritual life in the soul. The church is saying, come, because, like the psalmist, in her heart is the burning desire for him. She's saying, whom have I in the heavens high but thee, O Lord, alone, and in the earth whom I desire Besides thee there is none. Come then, for my heart is full. Come, a blessed heavenly bridegroom, for my heart is going out for thee uh, beyond anything else. Uh, the witness that she has uh, maintained certainly is to her credit. But the work of the Spirit is ended. The bride is sanctified. And now the spirit and the bride are saying, come. Now you can see how solemn the matter is. When the spirit and the bride are saying, come. Woe be to them that are found without Christ that are found rejecting Christ, for the die will have been cast forever. The doors that have been opened to welcome will welcome no more. There will be no more striving of the Spirit of God with men to make them willing in the day of divine power. They will be left 
and they will be left forever. The spirit and the bride are united, saying, Come. Now, then, you can see that as the book comes to a conclusion, that the final personage that our eyes are to be focused upon are Christ himself in all his glory. And what does he say? Verse 18, I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy. I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, there's one thing absolutely certain why, why there may be multitudes throughout this world, throughout this earth, and they've never heard the words of this prophecy. They've never heard anything of the Alpha or the Omega. They've never heard of the seven churches in Asia. But everyone here has. I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Those who hear the content of this book are held accountable to God as to how they respond to it. And in that accountability, they are accountable to God for their attitude to Christ himself. I testify unto every man that heareth, what is he saying? I am the Alpha and the Omega. I have sent my angel to testify of these things. And I have sent my angel to testify that the day is coming when man will be left forever, eternally, in the state in which they're found. When I come, the day of judgment will have come. Men will then be for all eternity as they are found when I come. Now can't you imagine men unready? Men that are not prepared, men and women, boys and girls, if they were to know. He is coming and he's coming quickly and he may come suddenly but I'm not ready for his coming. I don't want him to come because I'm in no state to meet him. I'm not in a state of readiness. I do not want him to come. I testify to you who have heard what is written here that I am coming quickly and woe be to you if when I come you are not ready. 
This, of course, is in perfect harmony with all the teaching and the warnings of the Savior himself. All men may say, well, if we look at history, and if we look at prophecy, and if we look at the prophecies in this book, are we not waiting, perhaps, for a thousand years of blessing and benefit different and more glorious than what we're presently experiencing and so on. When Peter writes his second epistle, in the second epistle of Peter, we have him there reminding us of how God thinks in contrast to how man thinks and how God calculates in contrast to how men calculate the passing of time. Second Peter chapter 3, and you see how uh, Peter reminds those to whom he writes that he's not telling them anything new. He's not introducing them to some new theories or new doctrines. This second epistle, beloved, I write unto you, in both, that is the first and the second, which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. I'm stirring you up to recall to remember what you might easily forget. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. What's Peter saying? I want to remind you of what the holy prophets wrote. Because I don't write anything different, and I don't write anything contrary. Whatever I write is certainly not in conflict with what the prophets wrote. That's what Peter's saying. And the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts. What will they scoff about? What will they scoff at? What will they mock? They will scoff and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Because if they go through the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, they will there have prophecy after prophecy that the Lord is coming. He will come with his holy angels. He will come with his reward. He will come in judgment. You cannot possibly read through the Old Testament and not see the many, many prophecies that the Lord will come, not as a babe, not to be born, but he will come as a judge. He will come in glory. He will come to receive his saints. And Peter is saying, I just want to remind you, of what the prophets were teaching. And then they are mocking 
by saying, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Isn't that exactly what men say right now? They don't want to hear that the Lord is going to come again and he's going to judge the earth and he's going to embrace his church. He is going to appear in his glory as the Redeemer of his people and receive them to himself. That's what they're mocking at in the very day we live in. But they are willingly ignorant of the word of God. And they are ignorant of the fact that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. They are willingly ignorant. They don't want the truth. They refuse the evidence. They just will not listen to God. And therefore they mock and they belittle and they ridicule those who believe the word of God and believe the prophets and believe the day is coming when Christ will return to this world. Now, they're not only ignorant, willingly ignorant of the word of God, but, verse 8, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. Whatever you do, do not make a mistake over this. Be not ignorant. You may be ignorant about many, many things. And you may have to acknowledge you don't understand this and you don't understand that. But here's something you mustn't be ignorant over. Be not ignorant of this one thing. The one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to, uh, to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Men will be saying, right until Christ comes, everything's continuing as it was. And they'll be trying to calculate this and that and satisfying themselves and comforting themselves with the idea, ah, the Lord isn't coming yet. Here's the response of the Spirit and the Bride When he says, Behold, I come quickly. He doesn't say when he's coming. He just says, Behold, I come quickly. I will come suddenly. I will come as a thief in the night. I will come when men are not expecting me. 
And of course, we have to understand that for the child of God, there are many comings. You look back to the second and third chapter of this book and the warnings that are issued to some of the seven churches. I will come quickly if you don't repent. I will come quickly. I will remove the candlestick out of its place. I will come in judgment and I will come to afflict. I will come to punish uh, for sin and so on. But here he's talking about that final coming as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of all things. The word that was made flesh is now the Omega, the final word. And he says, Behold, surely I come quickly. Thus, be ready. I testify to those who hear what is written in this book. The one thing to concern yourself with is this. God calculates time different to men. A thousand years with men. Yes, that's a thousand years. A day with men, yes, that's a day. But with God, it isn't that way. And therefore, when he says, surely I come quickly, we have no right to imagine to ourselves that we can figure out mysteriously somehow when he's going to come. He says, my final word to the churches, is, behold, I come quickly. Whosoever will take of the water of life, let him do it now, because I come quickly. He that will enter in through the gate into the city, he better come quickly. He better give heed. Because I come quickly and I testify that I am coming quickly. I remember one occasion, a very sad occasion it was for me as a pastor of the church in Inverness. One of my elders, highly regarded, a godly man, was a great support and encouragement to me. Suddenly he was diagnosed with cancer. And he was rushed into hospital and uh, suddenly became aware, I have only weeks to live. And he deteriorated physically very, very quickly. And I remember the evening that I got a final phone call from the hospital. The family wished Mr. Utney to come immediately. And I went into the room where even the family weren't allowed in, just his brother. And it was a scene I would never, ever forget. He was sitting in agony just hours before he would pass from time to eternity. And he was sitting up in the bed with his hands up 
And he just kept repeating the words, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly. Because he was ready. And he had that desire in response to the Savior's final word to everyone that would hear, I come quickly. And the child of God will welcome him when he comes. But what if we're not ready? What if we have rejected the gospel? What if we have spurned Christ? He says, I come quickly giving a final warning. You've heard what is written here. You've heard of my warnings to the churches. You have heard of the great conflict between the powers of darkness and Christ's church. You have seen and you have heard of how Christ has built his church and the gates of hell have been unable to prevail against it. You have heard of the great multitude that no man can number, who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You have heard all these glorious truths. And you who have heard are either going to be outside or inside, left as you are found, When I come quickly, notice finally the reasons why the various things are recorded that are, it gives to us this book, God's view of our world. That's important. What have we been looking at? We've been looking at things as seen from the throne. That the world is actually, however men try to deny it, the world you and I are living in, the world we're in right now, that world is a theocentric or Christocentric world. He's ruling, he's reigning, he's at the center of everything. And we, we easily forget that. We forget. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth, Christ is king and head of the church. And he's king of kings and lord of lords. He will subdue the nations. And he will bring his people to himself. But then also, it presents the church with her duty because she is the witness the only witness to a godless world, the only witness in opposition to the powers of darkness. That's the church's business. And if we've heard and we've listened to what is written in this book, we will know what our duty is. We are Christ's witnesses. And we have to ask then, what does the world think of us? What kind of a witness are we? 
Do we exalt Christ? Do we witness for him? Or do we bring shame upon him? Do we discredit him? Because we're not Christ-like. This is the business of the church right through this book. Christ's witness. But it also teaches us as the church what to expect in this work. We're not here to look for an easy time. We're not here to expect the devil is going to encourage us to be a faithful witness. Not at all. Throughout the book we see what the church may expect as the attitude of the world to Christ and to his people. And then you can see that uh, the revelation, the whole (coughs) book is a book, it assures Christ's church and his people of a glorious future. A glorious future. It's part of the bride of Christ. And every child of God He's a child of grace, will have that in their heart. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Surely I come. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And if that is not our desire and our delight, there is something wrong. If the heart isn't going out after him, in love for him, something's wrong. Here the book closes with the church's desire. When he says, surely I come, come quickly. What does the church, what does the believer say? Even so, let it be. Come, Lord Jesus, there's no one more welcome, no one more desirable, no one I seek or desire more than Christ himself. And as we close this book and our meditation upon it, we should ask ourselves this, what does the Christ of Revelation mean to us? What does he really mean to us? What think ye of Christ? May bless his word. Let us pray. Most holy and eternal God, we thank thee for thy word of truth. We rejoice in its teaching, in all its exhortations, its encouragements, We thank thee for its solemn warnings. May we have our ears opened to listen, to listen to the solemn words of the Christ of God. Behold, I come quickly. Oh, may we, everyone, young and old, have that response. Come, Lord Jesus. Oh, may our hearts be opening to him to welcome him at any time, under any circumstances. Bless thy word, pardon us, receive us. For the Redeemer's sake, amen.